Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com or follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcast by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview-style podcast focused on demystifying raising and investing capital for MedTech startups. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Lean RAQA. Michelle Lott and the Lean team help clients recognize regulatory and quality issues aren't a burden, but they are strategic advantages when used properly. These experts strip away misdirected activities so you can focus on what really matters, winning in the marketplace. Check them out at www.leanraqa.com. In this episode, our guest, Dr. Dave Albert, and I discuss his history in the medtech space, his various patents, his current company, AliveCore, his video that went viral, what it was like selling a company on 9-11, what it is like fighting the behemoth companies, the power of data, prediction becomes prevention in healthcare, finding that complementary team, there is no such thing as a solo entrepreneur, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Dr. Dave Albert. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Okay, just like that, Dr. Dave Albert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Duane. My pleasure. Yeah, so let's just uh, start with a intro into who you are and, and what you're currently working on. Well, who, who am I? <laughs> I'm an old guy. I'm a grandfather. I'm a husband of 38 years. But other than that, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people in my bio, I'm a physician, scientist, inventor, entrepreneur. I'm all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a fantastic uh, job and I've had an incredible career, not much of which was ever planned. Uh, I planned on being a doctor from a very young age and in college was a pre-med and then went to Duke Medical School. And in 1980, my father, who was uh, fairly old in his 70s, had a heart attack. And after he got out of the hospital, he survived that, lived to be 91, by the way. Uh, after he, he got out, they told him, hey, you got to go uh, exercise because he lived way out in rural Oklahoma. And so they said, you've got to uh, exercise to a heart rate of 120. Well, at, there were no polar chest straps, Apple watches, Garmin. None of those things existed in 1980. So I was thinking, how is my dad with his watch going to take his pulse? Uh, I just thought it was ridiculous. So I went to, I was, by the way, eight months away from finishing medical school at Duke. And uh, so one of my good friends and housemates at Duke had been an undergraduate biomedical engineer at Duke. And he introduced me to one of his former classmates who was getting his PhD in biomedical engineering at Duke. And I gave this guy $200 to build me a heart rate monitor for my dad. So two months later, he brought me a breadboard with all these wires. He said, it doesn't work, but that's all I'm going to work on it for $200. And I was like, so pissed off. I was like, 
<laughs> I just was like, I've just been skinned. And, you know, $200 was like all the, I was eating ramen noodles for six months. So I went to my dad and I went to the dean of the medical school and the dean of the engineering school. And I said, I'm going to become an engineer. I'm not going to let anybody do this to me ever again. And I'd already published a couple of papers in cardiology. I had been working in a cardiology lab at Duke. And so I took a leave of absence from medical school and spent the next two years uh, in taking undergraduate and graduate engineering courses at Duke. And in the meantime, I built a wrist-worn heart rate monitor, got a patent on it, and licensed that. And then I built a ultrasonic heart uh, evaluator and got a patent on that. And then I went back and finished medical school took eight months and then i went back to oklahoma to the university of oklahoma to finish my medical training and oh by the way i got married and uh and we had a baby and my wife was still in medical school at duke it was an interesting time having a baby having your wife halfway across the country and you're there so at that point i had another idea uh, i licensed the heart performance monitor I was driving a Corvette that I bought myself when all my intern friends were eating ramen noodles and because I made some real money. And so what happened is, is I was in training. I got uh, a new idea that I thought was my best idea, but nobody wanted to license it. And so in the mid 1980s, I told my wife and my dad, I'm going to drop out of clinical medicine and start a company. I knew nothing about starting a company, zero, nothing. <laughs> And, and my mentors at the University of Oklahoma of the late Dr. Ralph Lazara, who for 20 years was the chief of cardiology, and my mentor back at Duke, Dr. Galen Wagner, who was one of the most famous cardiologists really involved in EKG. Uh, both of them are dead now. That's how I know I'm old. All my mentors are dead. Uh, I told my parents, hey, Dave can always go back to a plan B. You know, he, he's going to be, he's a doctor. He can, he'll go back. And so, so they reluctantly agreed. We had a baby. We would soon have another one on the way. Uh, and I was giving up my income. We had money in the bank. That was a good thing. And so I jumped into it, uh, building my first company. Sold that company in 1991. Uh, we built an EKG microscope. It was successful. We grew it to $2 million in revenue, uh, annual revenue in, in 1989, and sold it. Um, and that was you know, I had no idea what I was doing. And that was when I realized that I had no interest in being a CEO because I was the CEO because HR, marketing, sales, these are things I had no interest in. I'm a physician. I'm an inventor. I'm a scientist. And so today uh, I started a second company called Data Critical. We went in 1993 or four. We went public in 1999 and sold to GE Healthcare in 2001, right after 9 We actually sold on 9-11. Amazing. Uh, that was an amazing day. And uh, for the next three years, I was the chief scientist of GE Cardiology. And um, then I couldn't stand it anymore. That was an interesting time. I think I saw issues at GE long before anybody else did. So I exited stage left in, in a very friendly way, lots of friends. Uh, I reported to the CTO at the time of, of GE Healthcare, which is a nine, $19 billion company about to spin off and become a separate company as GE splits into multiple entities. Uh, and then in about 
2007, when Steve Jobs introduced the first iPhone, I called up a buddy of mine in Australia and I said, I'd had an idea and built a prototype in 1995, a data critical, got a patent, got a 510K on a portable, uh, basically a portable computing based ECG device. And it wasn't practical. It looked like Rube Goldberg. It had a cell phone and a cable and a PCMCIA card. You probably didn't know what that is. That plugged into a portable computer. And this was the era of uh, Palm Pilots and Palm Top computers. And so it wasn't a practical solution. But it, I proved you could do this. You could send an EKG directly from a patient who was always mobile directly to a doctor who was always mobile. And so you could... You know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And so it was an idea. 2007 iPhone. My partner, who is a really talented engineer, old like me, grandfather like me, said, mate, you can't do it. Apple's got it all locked down. There's no way to develop. 18 months later, there was an app store and you could develop apps. So I called him back. He said, no, 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 I can't do it. Uh, they've got it all locked down. The Bluetooth is locked down. You got to buy this authentication chip from them in, in typical Apple fashion very controlling. But I had an idea. I said, I think we can do it a different way. And so for about the next nine months, since 2009, we began developing what ultimately became the first Cardia, which was a case, and uh, went to Hong Kong, uh, raised a little money, put money in myself. And on December 14th, 2010, which happened to be my birthday, I received 15 prototype iPhone 4 cases uh, that had ECG electrodes on the back. And um, on December 30th, I went into my little office and I made an unscripted four minute video. I was taught by my nine year old son, who just graduated from Harvard last week, by the way, pretty smart kid, wow. um, how to make a YouTube video and upload it because he did Nerf gun modifications. So he, I was not a YouTube guy. So he did Nerf gun modifications and uploaded those and watched them. And so he taught me how to do that. So I made this four minute unscripted video because the next week I was going to this consumer electronics show and there were several people who weren't going to be there that I wanted to show this new cool, you know, iPhone case ECG that I'd built. And so uh, I made this four minute video. And as I was uploading it to YouTube, there was a little box that said, send this link to your LinkedIn connections. Now I had no Twitter followers at the time. I wasn't, Facebook was just, you know, my family, but I had about three or 400 LinkedIn connections that were my old GE friends and people from the medical device industry. And I clicked that box. I don't know why I did it. I did it, uploaded it, it uploaded, I left. The next day was New Year's Eve, went out on a date with my wife, got back, celebrated, and at about 12.30 our time, I got a text message from my partner in Australia who who helped me develop the hardware and, and his software guy built the app. And he said, mate, what did you do? So what do you mean what you do? We have 200,000 views of that video. I was like, what? And so the next day, which was Saturday, Friday, December 31st, so January 1st was Saturday. At 12.30 at night, I was called. All day, I was getting these incredible calls. I was called by the producer of Good Morning America, Fox and Friends. Everybody said, we want you on our show from CES, this amazing invention. My son, who was now a physician, 
was an undergraduate at Duke said, dad, my, I have friends that are home for Christmas break. They heard your video on the radio. It was replayed in, in all over the country on radio as people were getting ready for CES. So I had 400,000 views by that Sunday. There were thousands every day all over the world. I'm getting bombarded. I go to CES and I'm just overwhelmed. I get up at three in the morning so that I could be at the convention center at four in the morning for the 7 a.m. broadcast on the East Coast. Fox and Friends, Good Morning America, CNN, everybody was putting my video, excerpts of my video up and TV, radio. So it became a viral video and I was bombarded. So I had GE call me. I had Qualcomm call me. And all these companies call me. I had people flew from as far as Israel just to meet me. Wow. And as a matter of fact, a company headquartered in Cupertino, California, sent a group of people to find me. And I met with them three times over 24 hours. They want to know how we did this because they thought they had the thing pretty much controlled. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a clever dude. So, you know, <laughs> that was the beginning of a live core. Later, uh, Qualcomm invested, uh, Vinod Kosla invested, Omron's invested, um, you know, and Cardia became a reality. Today, we've sold well over 2 million devices. We have 155 million ECGs in our cloud, get a million every week. And uh, we have 180 peer-reviewed publications. I personally have 80 patents now. The LifeCore has about 45, of which I'm the first inventor on most of them. Yeah. So, you know, there's my history. It's a almost 40-year history of medical device innovation. Uh, and a life core is simply the latest version and probably my swan song as a 67 year old grandfather, but you know, it's been quite a ride and none of it was planned. I never planned on, I, I was always going to be an academic cardiologist. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to do research. Good news is I still get to do research. I am considered a peer by the chiefs of cardiology at UCSF and Mayo Clinic. I, you know, I get to publish a dozen papers a year. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a, you know, for people in industry, it's a pretty unique situation, but I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been in and out of academic medicine. Uh, I'm, I still do a lot of research at the university of Oklahoma and, um, but I do it with Cleveland clinic and Mayo clinic and mass general and UCSF and USC, where my wife is now a faculty member. And, uh, three years ago, we moved from Oklahoma, where we lived 43 to 35 years raising four kids, moved to California for our first grand birth of our first grandkid. And my wife joined the faculty at USC Medical Center. And, uh, you know, our headquarters is in Mountain View. So it's an easy commute for me. And uh, so there's my story, dude. You've heard the whole thing. Wow. Okay. So let's unpack this a little bit. Um, <clears throat> let's start with, uh, let's go back and we'll, we'll work our way forward. So first company, um, you sold it. You said you had 2 million in revenue. What was that process like? Cause I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this, who, um, their goal is to go through an exit, right? That, that was um, a unique one because okay. we became a successful company selling a very niche product. And then we got sued for patent infringement. And as okay. part of the settlement of the patent infringement, we sold the company to them because they really wanted our technology. And so that was that was a unique exit, not like uh, that was a company called Corazonics, not like Data Critical, where we sold to GE. That was right. a different. And we were public. 
I mean, they came to us and they, they you know, this was right after the dot-com bust and, and uh, we were a public company and like every other company, our valuation had been crushed by just our business was great, but is irrelevant because the whole market crashed uh, and, and 9-11 happened. Like I said, 9-11 happened the day we sold our company. And so there was another crash, but we were already done. And, uh, and, and I, you know, they asked me to join GE. It's the only time I've worked for a company that I hadn't started. And I did that for three years. And I learned a lot. It's, it's an outstanding company, GE Healthcare especially. So world leader in electrocardiography uh, and, and a number of other things, you know, MR and CT and ultrasound and things like that. But, um, you know, that was more conventional. Um, you know, you can plan to exit. And I gave a lecture once at the MIT Sloan School uh, entitled Intercepting the Strategic Vector. If you want to plan to exit, then what you need to do is you need to know the landscape of products and innovations. You need to find an area, you know, back in the 1980s, there's a book called Megatrends by a guy named John Nesbitt. And it talked about how megatrends happened and they start at the coast and move in and it doesn't matter what it is. For instance, Tesla EVs yeah. in California. Yeah, they're everywhere. We have them in Oklahoma City, which is an oil and gas. You have them in Dallas, you have them in Houston. It doesn't matter. They're everywhere. Yeah. Now every company's EV, but that was a megatrend that started in California right. uh, with, with, with Tesla and so in Fremont. So you know, I, I told people, look at the megatrends and if you have an innovation in one of those areas, look at the companies, the large companies that are working in that area and attempt to see where their strategic path is and intercept that strategic path ahead of where they're going. That makes you perfect. And so when you look at companies like Medtronic, J&J, Abbott, Boston Scientific, they go out and do acquisitions on a very regular basis in areas that they're in or adjacent areas. And uh, they do so for intellectual property, for uh, speed, because oftentimes it's it's uh, faster to buy than to build. Uh, and sometimes they wait for, you know, FDA clearance to make sure an innovation is practical and can be uh, marketed. Right. But that's how that's how I would tell, you know, entrepreneurs who want to find an exit. It's it's difficult to plan, but there is a methodology. Uh, you know, if you're in their neighborhood, it's more likely if you're not in their neighborhood, you know, uh, it, it's it's very difficult. You know, you're not going to get Medtronic to think about Band-Aids. You might get Johnson & Johnson to think about Band-Aids, but you're not going to get Medtronic to think about Band-Aids, even if you got a better Band-Aid. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I like that. I like that advice. Um, okay. So it's a live core, correct? I'm saying that right? Yes. Okay. So um, first off, I think for everyone who who maybe doesn't know exactly where you are right now, you were at 10x. Uh, that's where I met you in San Diego, and you pulled out your from your wallet uh, a credit card essentially that 
read someone's EKG live and we all saw it on the screen or on your phone or whatever it was there. Um, and I think that's one of those moments that for a med tech nerd, right? Like myself, uh, so you just won't forget it. Right. Cause it's, 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 you don't, you don't see a lot of that sometimes. Right. Um, of like, Hey, you can't just pull out a new heart valve and be like, Hey, check it out. Right. But to pull out a device that quickly, pull up someone random from the audience and see their EKG, it was like, whoa, this is, this is, this is the future here. So maybe you, you kind of touched on what you're doing, but where is the live core right now? I mean, you're, you're selling, you're selling, you have, I want to hit on the data point because I think that's like a underestimated, um, value point that you have uh, 50 million EKGs in a cloud somewhere, right? I mean, 155 million. 155, right? So it doesn't matter what it's a lot, and and it's and it's really cool. But but talk about so right now you're like on, on how many iterations of the device? It's it's well it we're is- on a, yeah. The, what you described is what we call Cardio Mobile Card, and that is our latest okay. hardware product. Okay, uh, it is literally EKG the size of a credit card and fit mm-hmm. in your wallet. It is an engineering tour de force. Work on that began first prototype in 2015, 2016. So six years to get the thing fully developed because it is kind of very advanced technology, Mm -hmm. only able to do it. Well, I mean, that's kind of the story of a live core. You know, people in 2018, the world's biggest company introduced EKG into their uh, almost ubiquitous smartwatch. I'm sure many people thought, oh, a live core is dead. We've grown 700% since then, (laughs) okay? We have many tens of millions of dollars of revenue. And we have, like I said, well over 2 million lifetime customers and uh, continue to grow significantly. And so, well, how? Well, first of all, we're the experts. I was on a call with the FDA. They acknowledge, we're we're not only the pioneers, but we're the experts, 180 peer-reviewed papers, used by every medical medical major medical center not just here you know we have nice guidance in the nh in in the uk that means they have said this is a useful product and we will pay for it that's that's you know took us only eight years to get that by the way so those are the kinds of things you know uh we're in 40 either two or 47 countries around the world and have partners like omron and qualcomm and now GE Healthcare, we announced a partnership, the American College of Cardiology with GE Healthcare, my old friends, to integrate our ECG data into what they call their Muse system, which is uh, basically in 85% of all the major medical centers, it's the ECG information management system. And so we continue to innovate our hardware, our software, our AI, mm-hmm. and we recently received FDA clearance for a deep neural network to uh, quantify what's called the QT interval. It's very critical interval used for drug safety. Every drug has to go through QT analysis. Right. But frankly, there's scores of drugs that are available today, very useful drugs that can prolong the QT interval that can actually, in some circumstances, cause sudden death. And so being able to track that anywhere and any time, well, this is a real innovation. And we have drug company partners uh, such as Novartis and others who are working with us, who are using our technology. And it will be really, uh, the NHS is doing a second study with 
psychiatrist, because almost every drug a psychiatrist prescribes is a QT prolonging agent. And so, oh, by the way, we cured your schizophrenia, you're under control, but you died. Now that's a bad outcome. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we continue to innovate and to push the envelope. And, and, you know, I, I hate to do this, but, you know, here's the future. I'm not going to tell you, show you what it is, but here's a next generation, very innovative, uh, personal ECG device that, uh, is revolutionary and, Sorry. and it will, and, and we're continuing to expand the things we do. We're continuing to offer services. We have something called cardiac care. We have well over a hundred and, uh, 30,000 subscribers that pay us monthly for advanced services, including cardiologist overreads of their ECG right into the app and a number of other things, reports, connections directly into their physician. So we continue to innovate and that's how we continue to grow and, uh, and to prosper well, despite very large companies being our competitors because today you yeah. have small companies Right. Apple, Google, Samsung, I, those are small, right? Who yeah. all have ECG integrated into their smartwatch offerings. Right. Yet yeah. we continue to grow and prosper. Right. So, so Dave, are, are, is, is a live course still private? Yeah, we're a private company. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, how much i'm just i'm just curious right so so a lot of innovation but you're you're revenue generating now um how much money did you did you raise throughout the different series like what a lot a lot <laughs> okay what 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 is over over you know over the last 11 years a lot yeah and, and because we're a growth company and while that right. uh, seems to be out of favor today in wall street yeah that's a good reason why we're a private company Right. Uh, we worry about, you know, growing our business without worrying about making a profit. The good news is we continue. We have very good margins and again, increasing revenue uh, at a significant rate and expanding our product and services line uh, significantly into new areas, all of which are adjacent areas. You mm -hmm. know, we're, we're going to go from just simply being a device provider to being a device and services provider. And instead of just relying on a product sales, also have subscription recurring revenue. And, and that's, you know, all to the benefit of our customers because just like that 155 million ECGs, we use that to build better AI. Yeah. And that better AI gives them better information. And, you know, I can tell you, we have hundreds, maybe thousands of messages from customers thanking us telling us we saved their lives or their lives of their loved ones. You know, I, I don't, I don't claim that, but, but it's really nice to have that feedback. It makes coming to work every day, even at my advanced age worthwhile. So um, for entrepreneurs who um, are listening, who are raising money and uh, you know, they're raising from private equity or venture capital or angels or family offices, whatever it is, um, for a, you know, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs think that the only the only natural evolution of your med tech startup is raise money, exit, return your money, and take your payout. But you, well, you 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 took again. You sold one of the companies. You sold the second company, but you went public first. And this one, you're intentionally growing, right? I mean, so 
So there must be an appetite for some investors to um, invest in a company that says, hey, we're, we're, we're not just trying to sell to one of the behemoths, but we're going to try to grow this and continue to innovate. What's your best advice? So you, have to, you have to find the right investors. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, you got to find people who have a long-term perspective. And mm -hmm. we found that both in our lead venture capitalist, Vinod Kosla, is chairman okay. of our board and Kosla Ventures. He takes a long view, as well as our strategic investors like Qualcomm and Amron. Mm -hmm. They've all been extremely supportive of, yeah. of the notion that, you know, we're not in a hurry. And, uh, you know, we've we've got a great opportunity here. And, you know, I'm sure all of them want a great return, as do I when the time is right and when we optimize that return. So, yeah. you know, uh, today is the wrong time to want to sell. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at the markets. And so, you know, it's a good time to be private. Yep. Uh, the, the companies that went public, we had, we were approached by SPACs last year, I can tell you. Oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, it was the SPAC frenzy and, and we declined for a variety of good reasons. We have an excellent CFO who's got a lot of experience. And he said, you know, you want to have analyst coverage, you want to have this, that. And 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 he was right. And and in you know hindsight's 2020, thank God we didn't do that. Because I know a number of companies that did that are now at the fraction of the value they had when they spacked. And yeah. so, you know, you you even see companies like, well, you see what happened to Teladoc. And then companies like Amwell, and uh, they're just an almost down the line. Uh, uh, companies have, have, you know, public markets have not been kind to growth. And so that, uh, you know, we're glad that, that we were able to continue to grow as a private company and not worry about the fact that our stock price is getting crushed. Yeah. Um, Dave, so, uh, you are the, are you the, you're the CTO? Is that no, correct? I'm the chief medical officer. You're chief medical officer. Okay. Now so, I'm a member of the board of directors. I'm the founder of medical board of directors. I'm chief medical right. officer. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about how important the team was for you as well? well I mean, the team, the uh, team is critical. I mean, yeah. had, you know, if, if, if you know anything about Silicon Valley, um, people change jobs about as often as they change their clothes because <laughs> it's, it's a matter of fashion. No. And, and I feel I'm very proud. A number of yeah. alumni of AliveCorp have gone on to do uh, really uh, uh, great things. We have CEOs, yeah. we have chief product officers of successful companies out there that are alumni of, of, of AliveCorp. And because we've been around for 11 years, so you have people come and go and learn. And, and so I'm, I'm very proud about that. You know, the team we have now is first rate. Uh, Priya Bani, our CEO, uh, has a long history. She came from from Amazon and from the Alexa services platform. She brought with her a number of people uh, who are all incredibly good. Uh, so our C-suite is heavy with Amazon people, but we've had alumni from Google and Apple and, and a number of big companies. Again, you know, there's no such thing as, as non-competes in Silicon Valley. So people come and go depending on personal preference. We like people who come to a live core who don't just come for the financial opportunity, but come for the mission. You know, I, I, I hearken back to the uh, Steve Jobs talking to John Scully. Do you want to just sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come and help me change the world? Well, do you want to keep working on the next iteration of a search engine? Or do you want to come help me save your dad's life? 
that's a pretty powerful message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's roll with this too, as well, while we're here. So you had said something at 10 X that I wrote down a number of things, but one of the pieces, I, I swear it was you was you, the advice you had given was be an orthogonal thinker. Yes. Does that, does that sound right? Yes. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit? Because sure. I mean, I know what it means, but for the audience, I really enjoyed that phrase. And actually we've, we've talked about it internally at Project MedTech quite a bit at this point now since, since May. So if you could expand on That's that. the notion of innovation. How do you come up with an innovation? And, and I would, I, I, again, I've, I've given lectures at, at business schools like Sloan, where I talk about not only intercepting strategic vector, if you're trying to find an exit, but orthogonal thinking. You know, there's conventional wisdom where all the fish are swimming in this direction. Okay, this is this is how we always have done it. Why would you do it any differently? Well, innovation, it, orthogonality means at a 90 degree angle. When two things are orthogonal, they're at 90 degree angles. So if this is conventional wisdom, then I want to look at a problem in an orthogonal manner. That is a completely different perspective because that's how I'll come up with a true innovation by taking a completely different look at how things have been done. Because if you always look at it the way people have done it before, well, you know, at best you'll have something incremental. Well, uh, you know, incremental innovations, I'm sorry, that, that, that won't get you very far. You, you need the overused term disruptive innovations, and that comes from taking an orthogonal perspective. Yeah, that's great. I uh, I love that. I, I I did really enjoy your presentation at 10x, and that was that was one of my my key takeaways of hey, I need to take something away from this, and 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 that was it. Um, can you also talk a little bit just to to paint some 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 more color around you know how big of a deal a live core or is? Um, can you talk a little bit about the power of the data? you're collecting, right? It's not just this slick wearable or not wearable, but, you know, mobile EKG, but there's, there's a power in having this data. Can you kind well, of talk about that? Well, um, yeah, first of all, you know, what are the in things, AI, deep neural networks, uh, big data. And of course the revolution we've had in AI based on deep neural networks started uh, by a guy named Jan LeCun, who, you know, I worked on neural networks back in the early 1990s, and uh, they were disappointing. Well, most people worked on them and disappointed just like me and stopped. But a guy named Jan LeCun kept working on them, and he is today the chief uh, AI officer at Google and also a professor at NYU and has a lab there. He worked on it and found that if you have enough hidden layers, and enough data to train, which means you have to have enough processing. And all those things came together uh, in the late 2000s and then early 2010, such that we had revolutionary breakthroughs in speech recognition, in image recognition. And so suddenly these problems that had been problems for decades began to be solved. And, and you know, uh, I had a former executive from Google tell me, you know, they had this amazing online translator from Mandarin. How did they do it? Well, what they did is, is they had uh, Mandarin TV shows 
that had English subtitles. And so they basically just fed these, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours of TV shows with sub with subtitles being this is what they're saying. And here's the Mandarin. Boom. They had a Mandarin translator. And so we have this 155 million, a million new ECGs every week. And we have anonymous access to that from our terms and conditions. And that data is enabling us to develop, quite frankly, revolutionary ECG analysis. Uh, and, and, and you need scale and you need uh, accurate labels and all these things. And we've been working on it now since 2010. So it gives us an advantage. Our data dates back to 2010. So we have some people, literally, they've taken their EKG every day for the last 10 years. And so we've watched the evolution of their cardiac health. And so that's enabling us, you know, and with our partners like Mayo Clinic, who've done a lot in, in AI, and we've worked with them closely of several major innovations. Um, you know, we have access to millions of Mayo Clinic EKGs and also Emory University EKGs and a number of other partners. We're working with Scripps today and Dr. Eric Topol, who are one of the world's most famous cardiologists, good friend of mine. Um, this large scale data is what will enable us to dramatically improve AI and to be able to give not only physicians, but patients better information, earlier diagnoses. And in, and in medicine, prediction becomes prevention. And so that's the power of big data. And what I tell people today at 155 million, uh, those of us who remember the movie Spaceballs, uh, we go from big data to ludicrous data. So we're at the ludicrous data now, okay? <laughs> That's a great reference. Um, okay, so in, in, in closing here, because I could probably talk to you for another three hours uh, selfishly, um, but for entrepreneurs who are listening in right now, um, who are either A, they're in the thick of it, and B, they're they're thinking about doing something on their own. What's your 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 single best advice? And and also your single your single best, hey, you gotta watch out for this because it'll stick it. Yeah. First of all, um, you need to be honest with yourself. Entrepreneurs are eternal optimists. Uh, they believe that their idea is going to work. But they have to have that, that thought. Yeah. But you also need to sound, find people you trust, use them as sounding boards. Am I right here? Am I wrong here? Am I on the right path? And the next part is, if you believe that that's true, you're absolutely convinced, find your team. Who are the people you're going to need to help you realize your innovation to start a company? You know, I was lucky enough, I didn't have a clue what I was doing when I started my first company, but I found some people who had complementary skills to mine. And that's true today. So I have a management team that has complementary skills to mine. You know, they don't know anything about EKGs, but they know a lot about supply and human resources and marketing and sales and, and all of those aspects, finance that are critical. Find that complementary team because there is no such thing as a solo entrepreneur anymore. It, it, you are the founder. However, uh, it's going to take a team to realize your dream. 
That is a fantastic uh, advice to end on. Um, so, so, so quickly, I'll include links to a live course website in the show notes. Um, are, are you pretty active on LinkedIn? I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I have a hundred, I have 13,000 LinkedIn connections. I think that's, that's enough. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I'll include a link in there too. If people and want Twitter, to I'm, I'm, you know, at oh, Dr. Dave one, I have 17,000 Twitter followers. So yeah. active there. So, yeah. you know, I'm not a big Instagram or, or TikTok guy yet, but yeah. uh, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter are places I uh, reside socially. Yeah. Based on the video. I mean, you were on the, you were on that, like cutting that, that that cutting edge of actually what it meant to go viral. I, uh, I, I gave a lecture on virality yeah. back in, in 2011, where I said, you know, I, I, as a physician, I always thought viral pandemics were bad things. Well, the answer is they can be good things and they can be very bad things. We've all found that out. Yeah. Uh, and just in this case, uh, you know, a idea viral pandemic can be a very good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Dave, I, I really appreciate your time today. Hang on for a minute. We'll chat offline. Uh, but thank you so much for giving us some time today. Yep. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.